The biggest hurdle that yoga teachers face is their fear of public speaking. I think that's the biggest hurdle that we all face. I've met so many people, really talented people that know loads about yoga, that want to share their passion with others, but they're trapped by fear. And like a lot of us, we let that cripple us. We can't get over that hurdle. This is why I have Jerry Duffy on the podcast. If you don't know who Jerry Duffy is, he's a professional motivational speaker, goal setting coach and a writer. He's written three books. And I came across Jerry when a kind listener recommended his work to me, who had actually been to his workshops. This was based on a podcast I did a few weeks ago on advice to yoga teachers and saying that I wanted to speak to someone who is a public speaking expert, which Jerry is. So like any hurdle, sometimes we uh, we think it's too great to overcome. And Jerry is a, a true inspiration because, I mean, the guy has done, we didn't talk about this at all, actually. He's done 32 marathons in 32 consecutive days. <laughs> uh, so, And then from that, well, you'll learn more about this when you listen to this podcast, so I'll, I won't spoil it for you. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by two lovely people. The first is The Nature of Things. They're our sponsor. They help with the podcast to keep this going, as do you guys. The Nature of Things provide beautifully crafted essential oils. Uh, I met with their founder, Benoit Nicole, uh, back in earlier this year. And uh, if you're a yoga teacher and you're burning incense... We don't know what's in that stuff. Plus as well, if you burn incense, it actually, I find that people start coughing sometimes because it makes the air a little bit smoky. So if you want to make your room, your yoga experience smell nice, then get yourself some essential oils. But when you get your oils, let them be the purest form possible. And the best people to go to that I've experienced are the nature of things. If you go to thenatureofthings.ie, fill your basket with any essential oils that you like and maybe choose out a diffuser as well or a gift set for a friend you can use the promo code yoga life that's yoga life without the for 10 percent off all products and this offer is valid from september 1st to october 31st one use per customer only the other people that help us with this podcast are small changes organic eco-friendly whole food store based here in ireland there's no online offering so if you'd like to go in and buy yourself some produce that's going to help look after the environment and look after yourself check them out they're in john Condra, dublin 9 if i have no events left apart from the uh, the workshop that's uh, my retreat done no soon to be a new retreat announced very soon but uh, my retreat sorry my retreat my workshop is coming up on december 14th sligo and salt and soul heels overhead there's about 16 people booked in so far um we're going to take maximum 30 in total maybe a little bit less than that so everyone gets some uh, enough attention and if you'd like to join that workshop you can go to their website saltandsoul.ie and book online there so let's stop me rambling and uh we're I'll, I'll bring on Jerry now. If you enjoy this podcast at any moment, you can share it with a friend on your IG stories. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Um, any stars you choose would be much appreciated, but five is always optimal. And uh, feel free to let me know if you've got any questions about this. I plan to get Jerry on again because we had tons to talk about 
Um, and uh, my mouth was just open, my eyes were wide when I was listening to Jerry speak. So I hope you get as much from it as I did. So without further ado, here's Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Hello. <laughs> We've started. How's it going? Tremendous, thank you. How's your water? How's your water? It's delicious, yeah. <laughs> very clean, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Jerry, why, are, why is public speaking a scary thing? And is scary the right word? I'm getting straight in there, deep end. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Certainly for me it was, because I don't have a background in originally in speaking. In fact, I was very far removed from being a full-time speaker as I am today. But I think it's my research and, and when I researched it and then examined what it was like for me, I, I saw great alignment in what the research told me. And that is that it's a fear um, or it's all centered around a word beginning with J, which is judgment. And that we that we that we feel that people are going to judge us based on our ability or our lack of ability maybe to to stand up and speak in front of a crowd. And for me, that manifested itself 14 years ago when I did my first ever formal presentation in front of a, a, a group and I had six weeks notice and for six weeks I barely slept and when I reflect on it now it was it was all it was all a feeling of judgment what are people going to think of me I won't be able to speak I might be sweating and what if words don't come out and they'll laugh at me or think gosh who's this guy and I also realize now that all of my thinking, because it's part of what I teach now, is is I was thinking for that entire six weeks, I, I made an error and that was to focus on myself. And I've learned now in, in the, to, not to focus on you, but to focus on maybe on the value or the benefit that you're going to give to your audience or what's in it for them. And why might they be really lucky to hear or get the wisdom from you that you're going to stand up in front of them? And, and that's that's a way, I guess, maybe of distracting the mind to, you know, to focus on something else that you might feel, OK, well, maybe I can do this. And, and because whilst we're thinking about that, we can't be thinking about ourselves. So it's mm. maybe a distractionary technique. And I think, and that's a brilliant point that we get so obsessed with ourselves, don't we? Um, and I love something you said actually in, a, in another podcast, which which I won't promote. But <laughs> actually, I think I, I forget the name of it. Sorry, but um, you said something about being a leader is thinking of, uh, of it as we as opposed to I. And the reason why I think this is so valuable and relevant to the people listening to this podcast is most people that listen to this are either yoga teachers. Or, or actually, okay, so the, 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 a lot of them are yoga teachers and therefore you're leading a class, you're leading a retreat, uh, a workshop, or you might be doing a teacher training. But even if you're not a yoga teacher, Jordan Peterson said something brilliant that being a good communicator makes every part of your life better. And I was thinking about this myself, about my relationship with my girlfriend, or my relationship with uh, people that I teach um, and, and groups that I lead. But specifically in, in, the, in the, the theme of leadership, why do you think that, why do you think it's important to differentiate between I and we in a leadership context? I think one of the main reasons is there's probably a hundred different answers to that, but one of the main reasons is when we're leaders, we're on a stage and people are looking up to us and they're, you know, every word you say as a leader, it sounds different to a follower because it's coming from maybe in the face with a higher authority. Mm. So every word gets magnified 
and you know you know leaders that that I believe that use the word I a lot that that might just give me an inkling as to maybe that they're thinking about themselves first and foremost whereas you know in leadership I, I, it's not about me it's about we and I think people if people are very conscious of a word as as followers it's just that all-inclusive language that shows people listen I'm in this or they're in this with me kind of thing you know and I think it's a much softer way and I think people embrace it more and I think um, you know I, I was I'm running a, a session this weekend with a, with a group of people and it's a, it's a, it's a workshop that I deliver and there's a, there's a, a gentleman coming who's coming as my guest. I, I just, there's a particular reason why he's coming as my guest. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to him just a half an hour ago on the phone. And because uh, he's come, he's kind of on the face, but he's not one of the group because he's coming in as a guest and everybody else has, has made the commitment to be there through the channels that they've done that. And I just noticed my own language when I was speaking to him because I said, listen, we have a great group coming. And, you know, I was about to say, you know, including you, it's it's 13. But my my default now, and I was so proud of this because it, it kicked in straight away. I said, including you and I, it's 14. And I just wanted my reason for doing that. I examined literally half an hour. Why did I use mm-hmm. that word? Because I wanted him to feel a part of it. I didn't want to feel that he was on the outside of everybody else. And it just came to me, thankfully, I guess through working on my own leadership over the last number of years, I've become much more conscious of a need to, to use that kind of language. There's a simple example where I'd like to think that he feels a part of it and not somebody that's coming as a as an outsider and he might feel as an outsider there. I want him to feel a part of it. So just that, you know, including you and I, in, including us, it's, it's 14 people. But it's interesting... Um it's almost a process of introspection that you're having. You're you're asking yourself, or in that moment, you made that decision, that conscious decision to say you and I, as opposed to just this person. And I think that in yoga, the practice of yoga is one of introspection to ask yourself when you're practicing, what narratives do you run in your head? For example, if you can't stand on one leg, what are you telling yourself when you can't do that? That you're not good enough? That someone else beside you is better? Or are you simply accepting that this is a process of learning and that there is no performance and you're simply looking to examine your own thoughts? And when you're teaching yoga in that room, it's a hypersensitive environment. I've seen tears, laughter, everything, okay? And therefore, words are really powerful in that environment. And I'm conscious of this because I said to like my dad, my dad's a carpenter, I was telling you earlier, you know, my dad makes things, as what we're sitting in now, he, he built this. And so therefore, that's what he produces. Whereas, what do I produce? What I produce mainly is words, and what I say creates action and creates thought. So I, I, I really think that anyone listening to this, um, especially if you're looking to be a teacher, you cannot underestimate how powerful the words you use are. And this is why this is why I wanted to speak to you because last week, I, I sorry, two weeks ago, I asked on the podcast, I said, if anyone knows someone who's a public speaking expert, please let me know. I'd love to speak to them. And then someone said, I went to Jerry's uh, speaking school and I highly recommend him. That's why I got in touch with you. Um, but f- from what you've seen in terms of um, people who are, let, let's take, say, teaching as, as an example, as, as a profession, sorry. What what examples could you, could you, um, could we be aware of that teachers sometimes fall into when they try to to encourage people to, to learn 
that are say bad habits. So one is like the, for example, the thing of saying I. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm conscious of things like negative reinforcement. Now I'm not a, an expert in this area, but is there any other narratives that we use that you think um, we need to be aware of? There's, there's lots, but there's one really big one in my book that, that I think really stands out. And I remember, you know, a speaking colleague once upon a time asked me to just examine him at a talk and, and to examine his, his, his presentation and afterwards to give him feedback. So we sat down afterwards and he wanted me to be really honest with him. So he was going to speak for 20 minutes. So we sat down. I listened in the back of the room and, and we, we went for a coffee or whatever it was afterwards. And he said, well, what do you think? And I said, you, you want me to be honest? And he said, yes. And I said, you lost me in the first 30 seconds. And he said, why? And I said, because you told me what to do. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you told me there were only three things I needed to do to be successful in this particular thing that your presentation was about. I said, an audience, in my experience, doesn't like to be told to. They like to be, you share information and let them consider it for themselves. Because he was telling me there was only three things I needed to do to be successful in business. But my whole business or my whole business life, or I could have, you know, learned from my dad or my mom that there's only one thing you need. Who is this guy now telling me three? Or I might think that there's only two things, or I could think there's nine critical things to be successful <laughs> in business. But who is this guy telling me that there's only three? He hasn't earned my trust. He hasn't given me credibility yet. And so my, I put the shutters up based on that language. And he said, well, what advice would you give me? And I said, well, I said, it only needs, as an example, three words in front of, you're quite entitled to that opinion, but just in how he presented. And I said, what about if you put these three words in front of it? In my experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it has a whole different impact for the audience. And yes, as yoga teachers, we might be up there as the expert, but doesn't mean there isn't other experts in the room, as an example, or, or doesn't, in a, I think the moral of the story is to allow people to make up their own mind. And you might say, well, here's a particular technique, rather than here's a technique you must use, you have to do this. Here's a technique I might recommend you do. Try this for yourself. In my experience, I think you might find this is a much better strategy in terms of whatever it is they might be trying to teach. Mm -hmm. So those words, I think, are incredible. The, the words we use when we're on a stage, and as yoga teachers, we're on a stage. Without a doubt, every word we do is is sounds different. They're interpreting it, they're filtering it, they're processing it, mm -hmm. and they're making up their own mind based on on how you communicate. So I just, the tone of language that we use, I believe is, if there was only one thing that I would share, having sat in hundreds and hundreds of presentations and been fortunate to deliver and always trying to examine my own behavior and listen back to presentations I might have given and how could I improve it? I really do put all these things under a microscope. And and so a simple example is, you know, um, I was doing a talk this morning and I, I, I even with no, I was encouraging note-taking, but I, I, I shared it to people. I said, you decide what to write. I said, because I might share different things that will mean different things to different people. And, you know, there was an exercise involved in it. And I asked them, could I invite you to do the exercise? I didn't tell them to do the exercise. I want you to do an exercise. Can I invite you? And I think that's a, it's a much more softer, respectful word. And mm. I could only speak from my own viewpoint on this, I guess, and, and my own, just, it's just something I'm very strong in, in terms of my own values, just to invite people to do things. And then, you know, I even say, listen, these are my experiences. I'm not saying you have to agree with them. I said, I'm just giving you my view of the world and you decide, you process, you filter what makes sense for you and allow them to make up their own mind. Mm. 
But there is a thin line, not a thin, well, a trap that I've fallen into before is one of self-deprecation. So I was teaching a masterclass the other day. Or, so I say the other day, it was about three months ago. <laughs> but, um, and I, I, someone asked me, in the, I was basically promoting the class after a regular public class. And I said, hi, just letting you know, guys, everyone, next week we have a masterclass. And it was one of the first ones the studio was doing. And uh, I said, don't worry, you don't need to be, they say the definition of a masterclass is talented students being led by a master. And then I said, I'm in no way a master but um, you may be talented students. And as soon as I said it, I, I kind of regretted it because I my own uh, um, insecurities came out a little bit. And, and I, 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 I'm so conscious, or I'm so aware of what I'm saying that sometimes I, maybe I overthink it, but I also don't want to fall into, um, to under, underselling myself. And, and actually, I think that's why the, the phenomenon of podcasting is so interesting, because I've realized that people that come to, say, at the retreats I'm, I'm going to be hosting and my workshops, half of them listen to the podcast. And half the time in this podcast, I say things that kind of a bit embarrassing about me. Um, and what is that phenomenon? <laughs> Do people just, is it, is it like it makes you more human or what? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think there's there's maybe two examples of it. There's one where we're deliberately self-deprecating, you know, maybe in a humorous sense, just to maybe get people to, you know, see the viewpoint that, that we are the same. But there's also the viewpoint where somebody might pay us a compliment and we kind of don't take the compliment yes. just through our, our, our wiring or our programming. Um, and, and I can assure you, I've I've had a case to answer this myself because it's one of the things that I talk about a lot is just to, you know, when somebody does pay you a compliment and you turn it into a negative comment, your brain is confused and your brain, in, in my experience, is, is, is saying, OK, well, maybe I'm not worthy of this yeah. instead of maybe in terms of personal development, because it's something I've really focused on in my own life, is if somebody pays us a compliment, is at the very least to accept their opinion of us. And it might be an uncomfortable thing to do, but the, the, the growth in a person comes from maybe doing something that's uncomfortable, and that might be as simple as as, as simply as, as, as accepting a compliment. You know, it, it's... it's um, but it might be... Do you think, Jerry? it might be a cultural thing as well? Because in Ireland, if you say to someone, I, I say to a lady, for example, generally, um, I like your top, they'll say, oh, five euro from pennies. Not, not which is Primark in London, but not thank you. It, but it's to downplay um, that. Do you think that's a bit of a... Because I, I can't imagine... Um, I'd say that's less likely to happen in America, for example. <laughs> they might go, thank you, I like yours. Like when I was in the States, I remember, this is when I was 19, sorry, 21. And uh, women would just say to you, oh, you're cute. You know, Jesus, and a natural reaction if you, you know, if you, is to downplay that. And um, so do you think like this is a cultural thing there a little bit? Because you've taught, I mean, sorry to interrupt you, Jerry, but you've, you know, you've been outside of Ireland doing your teaching, so... I definitely think, I, uh, in terms of Ireland, I, I definitely think we, we we tend to be unfortunately quite good at it. I think I don't think we're born that way. Like who's born that way? Who who acts that way at five years of age? You know, if you mm. go into a primary school and you go into the junior infants class and you pay them a compliment, they'll 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 just smile and they'll beam. And and whenever you go back at ten, maybe not so many will smile and beam. You go back at fifteen, maybe no, it's not me, and they might deflect it. So I think something happens between five and twelve or thirteen years 
of age maybe that doesn't happen maybe in as you said in the United States where we where we do learn the, the value of just you know just maybe putting a value a little bit more in ourselves there's also an angle that it could be just deliberate self deprecation in terms of just just a value that we might have just to not oversell ourselves kind of stuff so in you could look at it from two perspectives it's it's something that maybe would warrant improvement but also something that's a nice can be a nice you know um uh, attribute of somebody as well you know yeah. and it depends on what lens I guess it depends on maybe why we're having a conversation but if it's such a thing that we're so deflective of it and yet we're trying to grow as a person well maybe it's an area that that might help us to to grow to another level if we're willing to just put more of a value on ourselves that we might currently be doing but also Jerry you made you made a good point just a moment ago about it being given almost like a break of slight humor because I find that in a in that situation when I said I'm not a master a couple of people chuckled and, and sometimes it helps that ease a bit of tension if you feel tension you, you can and and also as well it's um but it, it's just something I'm, I'm conscious of I mean I as I mentioned to you earlier and again this is kind of embarrassing to say but before we start recording me and Jerry were chatting and I said that um there's a part of me that likes to show off when I was really young, I was a very good pool player. I used to go to the pubs. Um, I've never talked about this before. It's not probably because it's not that interesting. But in this <laughs> case study, it is. I used to go to the pubs and um, place play pool. And my uh, my cousin, Eamon, shout out to Eamon, I used to idolise Eamon. And I remember uh, him commenting on how good I was at pool and that I could beat all the adults. And I thought, okay, this is now I, this is something I'm enjoying showing off and being really good at something. So there's an element of me that likes to show off and therefore I like to perform. So luckily I do a job where part of, part of it is a performance, holding space in a room, your body language, how you use your voice. But the point I made a few weeks ago on the podcast, and which is why I wanted to speak to you is that I feel and I've seen people that love yoga, that know so much about it and want to share it, but it's almost like they're, all that knowledge is trapped inside them because either they don't want to address public speaking or they don't know how. Um, but that, that was you once upon a time. So what was, what was your... Um, your journey. <laughs> that, journey. That's what we say in yoga, your journey. Okay, my journey. I'll give you maybe a 60-second journey, I think. Okay. But funny, when you were speaking there, a, a quote, I, I have a lot of quotes embedded in my brain. Mm. And even reflecting on my own journey, um, if, there was, if it was summed up in one quote or one recommendation or one piece of advice, it was from a man whom I hugely admire, a man called Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. And some of your listeners might be familiar with them. Yeah. And he said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I thought that was such a powerful, because we can have all the, you know, the technical or the academic or, or the, you know, the yoga skills. But maybe if we're challenged by maybe our ability or our confidence to deliver it, I think that in many ways is what he's speaking about. OK, well, what are the other skills that you might need to be able to get your inner voice out or get your passions out? And to to I remember working with a football team once and we'd one particular player that he absolutely loved working in the gym. But the gym was the last place he needed to go. He was stronger than maybe five other players put together, but he didn't want to put in the hard yards in other areas. 
And it cost him in the long term, I believe, because it just, I think it held him back, just his refusal to look at other areas in terms of technical or diet or whatever. But his, his thing was, but I'm in the gym, like, surely that's, that's like, why, why are you trying to get me to do these other things? Um, but in terms of my own journey, like 60 seconds, I, I'm, I do a lot of public speaking now. I'm a professional speaker. I speak probably three times a week in 99% in corporate settings, sometimes in front of small audiences, sometimes in front of really big audiences. I speak about leadership and goal setting and public speaking. Um, and But if I go back 14 years, I, I had my own business, but it was a completely different business. And as part of that, at that time, and maybe I really became, I knew I had a public speaking issue in terms of confidence and, and maybe some social um, lack of social confidence, whatever. But this speaking presentation in that other business arrived at my door in 2005, where I had six weeks notice. And for that six weeks, Kevin, I, be- I genuinely barely slept. It was probably the most difficult socially, or not socially anxious, but just anxious times of my life where I just was hugely troubled in terms of my, my, my mindset. And the closer it got, the worse it got. But now I realise it was all about me. I was just focusing on me, which is a which is a very easy trap to fall into. And I was so afraid I had to go to a hypnotist to speak to four people. Right, okay. That's how big the fear was. But I walked out of that room. I walked out of that room. There's another quote that I've heard, which is, if something doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. But it did challenge me hugely. And it changed me because I walked out of that room having delivered that first talk and and got the confidence from the growth that I walked out. My mindset changed. I said, oh, my gosh, that was such a brave, courageous. It took so much out of you, but you did it. And this was all in my head. And I walked out thinking, what else? If you can achieve that, what else have you been telling yourself you cannot achieve? Because if you can do that, you can do anything you put your mind to. Now, I had no desire to be a professional speaker. I was so relieved it was over. Mm-hmm. A couple of years later, my brother got married. I, I was He asked me to be best man. It was only marginally less terrifying, but I did it. <laughs> I did it. And then I did some local talks um, uh, just in a business sense in my hometown where I had a business. And... Once I got through the fear, I, I actually began to enjoy it. And, and then in 2009, I just made a decision, which was to create a new business in the speaking world based on a bit like yoga teaching, where I felt I had value and where I felt I had expertise. And that's where I came up with the idea to, to, to do what I now am very fortunate to do. Wow. Jerry, that was brilliant. Um, where do I go from there? That was so fantastic. Well, well... If okay, con- confidence. Go, go on, Joe. I was just going to, just one thing, if I might add. I feel I'm probably so much better now as a speaker um, than I was three years ago, six years ago, nine years ago. But the reason, and this is a thing I would encourage yoga teachers or whoever, every time we present, and, and you know, you share that you three times a day, you, you, you can do sessions. Um, and if I speak three times a week, one of my goals every time I'm in front of an audience is to be able to prove to myself that I'm working to get 1% better than the last time. Now that could be every session, it could be every day, or it could be every week, or it could be once a month where I will challenge myself not to do what I did before at the same standard, but to get better. And for it to get better, I, it has to feel a little bit different. 
So I do this exercise with an audience where I invite them to fold their arms. I did it with a group this morning that they were talking about. They told me they wanted to improve in their careers. So I said, can I ask you, invite you to fold your arms? <laughs> and so they folded their arms. And I said, okay, how does that feel? And they said, it feels fine. It feels normal. It feels comfortable. I said, how would you know if you were genuinely on the path to growing yourself in your career? I said, what would that feel like? So then I got them to fold their arms the opposite way. And I said, how does that feel? And they said, different, awkward, uncomfortable, hard to get used to, had to think a little bit deeper. But that's the feeling that I believe we need. And if we get that feeling, we are growing. And if we're growing, we're likely to get more confident. If we get more confident, we're likely to be more motivated to go to a higher level. God, that's, that's Jerry, you're so good at this. <laughs> you're so good at this speaking business. Um, Jerry, that is, because that's what I say to, I try not to reference my girlfriend in every uh, podcast I do, but I, I always do. She's like my confidant. <laughs> um, God bless her. But um, I, I say to her, like, I'm never really comfortable. And um, I'm always trying, not trying new things, but trying to see how could I said that better. And, and when I say something, I, I go out and I, or if something, even not necessarily even words, but at the end of a class, for example, people i got to do my advice because mike and then the class people will come out of the room okay so they're walking out of the room i say thanks for coming see you tomorrow see you next week whatever it may be and i realize right i didn't make eye contact with that person or i looked down or i um i didn't if they're speaking to me i didn't give them all the attention so i'm always trying to get better but that's i think that's what uh makes this craft so enjoyable <laughs> because I have a desire, I have a desire to, to improve. And I know that I, I absolutely love doing this, this career yoga teaching. And some people don't like to think it was a career, but it is, um, you know, and I, I love doing it. And therefore I think, what can I do to be as good at it as possible? And it all starts from, I believe how, how, how I communicate, um, Sorry, Jake. Sure. Here, so here's here's two things that that because I, I, I'm so interested in, in this particular area of focus. So yeah. you know, somebody's saying, "Well, why why would I want to improve all the time? Like you know, have a good business, or whatever." But a couple of things on it that that I feel very strongly on. One is if if you have a a business where it's where you want it to be and it's it's bringing in revenues or whatever you want, and you keep improving that, what's likely to happen in your business? You know, you become more attractive to your clients so the, the business is likely to grow you know so that's one reason there's another reason that i believe it's in our interest your interest my interest anybody listen to this why is it in our interest to challenge ourselves to get better as yoga teachers maybe for example in the art of communication or in our in our studies or in in our environment or in how we communicate whatever why else might it be in our interest and i i explain to uh, let me share a true story. Imagine you have a young child, a five-year-old child, and the child comes home and says, I want to sign up for yoga. I normally use the word ballet, but I use yoga. Here. <laughs> so I want to do yoga. And so the child comes back and after the first week of yoga. And what did you do this week? Well, we did this thing called the basics of yoga. Now, forgive my ignorance if I'm using language that's not aligned with, but you'll understand the context in which I'm using it. So what did you do this week? Well, we did a thing called the basics of yoga. Was it, was it any good? It was amazing. I love yoga so much. So the following week, the child comes back. What did you do this week? Well, we did the basics and we did this thing called a routine of yoga. And what did you 
what did you think of it? Oh, it's amazing. Like yoga is just, it's, it's my world. I love it so much. A week later, the child comes back. What you do this week? Well, we did the basics and, and we did the routine that we did last week. Oh, and what was it like? It was really good, really good. A week later, the child comes back. What did you do this week? Well, we did the basics and we did the routine that we did last week. And what was it like? Yeah, it was good. It was good. And a week later, the child comes back. What did you do this week? Well, we did the basics and we, we did the routine. And what was it like? Sure, it's yoga. Like, why do you keep asking me these questions? You know what it's like. Like, it's 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 yoga. Now, what's changed there, I believe, is that the, the, the growth has stopped because they keep doing the same routine. So unless we find ways to to innovate, to grow, I think we're, we're like flowers, right? Or growing or we're dying. Now, it's not, it's not as if we have to routine after routine after routine, but it could be a new way to do an old routine. It's something that challenges us that there's growth in certain where maybe we get a new learning, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so if I'm going to spend as much time as I do in, in my speaking, in what I share, or anybody listening to this, I know if I'm growing, if I'm changing the routine of what I do, so I might still teach the same things I did six, seven years ago, but I found new and improved ways to communicate them. So my happiness index, yes, my business will thankfully will grow because I become more attractive to my clients. But the happiness I get, it's like the child, the, ha- the happiness stopped because the growth stopped. Mm-hmm. So that's the extra reason why I believe it's in, in our interest to really challenge ourselves to become maybe the very best yoga teachers that we can possibly be. Mm. Yeah, and, but the thing is though, with that evolution, is that there's going to be parts where you mess up. And, and what I've realized is I'm always changing or evolving what I'm teaching because I'm always learning new things. Like, and. But the, the, the slight, well, don't even call it a downside, but it's, I'll do something and I'll say, and I'm not that good at teaching because I'm only teaching it for the first time. So therefore, I, if I taught the same thing every single week, I'd just be slick. I know what I'm saying. I'd be rolling off the tongue, but then it, it'd just roll off the tongue. But then it would sound a bit disingenuous, like a script and going through the, the motions. I know people would show up and that's fine. And there are many styles of yoga, I won't say which ones because people get offended, that do that. They just say it's the exact same poses, the exact same words every single week. But for me, I try to, I change how I move and what I, what I learn about the body. And I want to share that with people. And I get excited about saying even things like, if you notice, if you turn your wrist this way instead of that way, this will happen. And that excites me. <laughs> There's a great example. It can be anything you see when you think about it. it, it, it like that's a brilliant example because it's something that feels a little bit different to you. And I think our audiences will sense that as well. And they'll get that, gosh, this guy is so into this. Mm. Whereas if we keep doing the same old, same old. And even this morning, I was doing two sessions and I challenged myself to get to shake as many hands as possible because I was meeting people <laughs> and that felt uncomfortable but that's a that's a sign that I'm living true to the value you know of, of because it felt uncomfortable I was trying to just really give them my all and one thing I I used to just sit and wait to be introduced and then speak but I've learned a great way to build a connection with the audience is go and try and if the opportunity is there go and connect with them rather than just sit at the top as 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 the, the, the expert or whatever go on and, and get to know people even if it's only for five seconds thanks for coming along and and if it challenges me maybe it's all the more reason to do it you know and 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 maybe that's an example of me giving the very best I could this morning yeah um do you have so that's a, a great example of um setting yourself a variable that you want to uh, or a goal that you want to do which is shaking people's hands and it's almost like you 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 need to have it to be measurable so you can say right I did x amount and and therefore um 
it's, it may sound a bit, <laughs> that's a funny example. Some people may be thinking, that sounds a bit odd, just trying to shake as many people's hands as possible. But sometimes you've got to do that, set those goals for yourself because people will notice. It's like, it's like people coming out of the yoga room and I'm, okay, this person's asking you a question. Stand in front of them and look at them. Don't look at everyone else saying, see you, Kev, see you next week. Ignore them. This person's come up to you asking, asking you about their wrist, for example. Just look directly at them and don't get distracted. And I, I'm thinking this in my head constantly because I'm still trying to figure out what the best way to create an environment where people feel like they're being seen, being listened, they're being listened to as well. So what I'm curious about, Jerry, is your rituals. So this is, say, for example, the shaking hand thing is is something. Um, maybe you set that as a as a goal in this circumstance. But before you speak, do you do anything in terms of like, okay, what I do, just to keep, so you know what I'm, I'm getting at, is I will sit in my car and I'll do three rounds of Wim Hof breathing, which is basically diaphragmatic breathing. Then I'll do three ohms, uh, which is om like that. And then I will, because I find it, it kind of gives me a, a more grounded voice as opposed to speaking up there, high up. And then from there, some, if I'm really feeling anxious, like with workshops, I still get very anxious. Um, I'll stand in front of the mirror, I'll go to the toilet and I'll just put my arms in the air and just look at myself in the mirror. And um, then I feel like it gives me more open body language. When I go into the room, I'm not, I have a tendency to play with my hair and I've been, and people have told me that I kind of, I just did it there. That I, um, it kind of makes me look a bit like Lauren Hardy, you know, not the, or like a monkey or something. So I'm conscious of where my hands are, and what they're doing. So that's my ritual. It, it, do you have anything like that, or am I the only weirdo? I have one or two <laughs> of of that kind of ilk, and I have a couple of technical ones as well. Okay. So one of my rituals is ninety nine percent time because obviously there's the odd time that this doesn't happen. I could be like I'm delivering a, a, a speaker school session this Saturday. I'll be in the room two hours before anybody else. Two hours. For two reasons. I'm so excited to be doing it. And I don't see that as being an issue at all, being in a room two hours before. I will always be in a room an hour before, always. Because it's just one of the values I have. Even this morning, I was in the room an hour before and we had some technical issues. And there's nearly always, in what I do, there's nearly always technical issues. Mm. Um, or just changing the environment. I might go into a room early. See, can I, because the energy of the room and, and I think how we set up a room is incredibly important. So having been in hundreds of training rooms and, and seen every standard of, of, of presentations, I put huge emphasis on, this, on the layout of the room. So I might go in and just try and redesign it if I feel it needs redesigning because I, I move around a lot, whereas some people here might be in the same environments all the time, maybe not. Hmm. Um, I If I am, and I, I don't get nervous anymore, but with one exception, I was doing a talk about five months ago and for whatever reason, I did get nervous. And there was a couple of reasons why I believe um, that I did get nervous that particular day. It, it, I, it, was, a, it, it was a very cramped environment. Um, there was 400 people in a very tight space and I felt they were really on top and they were going to be really on top of me. And I love to have four or five or six feet in front of me, but there was going to be people like a foot away from me or two feet away from oh, me. Wow. And it was a very hot room. The air conditioning wasn't working. And I was on first and it was a very significant responsibility to kick off this day. And I was after being hired to do this six times by this new client. And 
about 10 minutes before, I just felt myself getting really nervous. I said, well, go and do the breathing technique that I needed when I first heard it eight or nine years ago. This was a game changer for me in terms of getting rid of nerves. And I'm not, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the name Vim Hop, but I, I'm not familiar with the technical thing. But the, the breathing technique that I went out into the hallway for two minutes and it totally worked was I just went out and f- four or five times I breathed it in for four seconds. I held my breath for seven seconds and then I slowly exhaled for 11 seconds. I call it the, you, some people might be old enough to remember an aftershave called four, seven, 11. <laughs> so breathe in for four, hold for seven and exhale. Okay. And what I find is that calms me. Mm. So that's, and that, that was a game changer. I, I don't tend to do it anymore because I don't feel I need it. But one thing I, I did this morning um, and some technical things I do, I will, because every presentation I do tends to be different. I always try and make it different anyway, but I, I very often I write brand new content for brand new challenges or just unique to this particular team or whatever it might be. So I con- I very consciously, I could spend eight, nine, 10, 12 hours writing a one hour presentation, but I will need to consciously connect with like maybe an hour and a half before I could do it in a coffee shop or I could do it just in the quiet corner in the room. I'll just go through the entire journey I'm about to bring them on and really, really focus on, on so that I'm very aware of what I'm doing at particular moments in time. So that's something I, I can't just stand up, open up and deliver. I want to be very consciously assured of the journey, the nine points or the three directions that I'm bringing them in and I'm doing this then and I'm doing this exercise there and then I'm going to get them to do that and then I'm going to tell this story whatever so I really consciously dig in there in my own quiet time before I speak and then the last thing I normally do not always but very often is when I'm about to speak just before I speak I don't speak and that's a strategy because it's such an unusual such particularly if we're trying it new it's a courageous thing to do is to stand up and not speak when people are waiting for you to speak. But I remember the first time I did it was in October 2013. I got this tip from somebody, don't speak, just stand up and smile. <laughs> and, and and speak when you're ready, not when they think you're, not when they're ready, as in, yes, they're ready, but to wait for another five or six or seven seconds. And the very first time I did it, I was quite nervous because it was a very particular reason why I was nervous because at the time I felt this talk was a really big deal and I used this technique. And I walked out onto that stage Kevin, very nervous. I stood up, I smiled from left to right, trying to make eye contact with every section of the room, which is another very valuable thing to do. Then I didn't speak for about five seconds and I could see people nudging, (laughs) why is he speaking? But inside my head was going, oh my gosh, that's such a courageous thing to do. All the nerves disappeared because it challenged me to do it, but the growth I got from challenging myself. So I did that this morning as an example and I could see people smiling, gosh, why isn't he speaking? But that was an inner ritual that I do it just grounded me. It really got me ready. It told me I was in total control of my environment in terms of my my mind, the ability and the expertise and the value that I can bring to these people. I'm so confident in that this morning. I didn't even speak until I was ready. And then it flowed from there. Well, it, that's fascinating. This, by the way, the second point you made, is that like, uh, almost like a visual visualisation technique, what you were talking about, about going through what was going to come up is that like, would you describe like would you visualize in your head what you're going to be how you're going to be uh, saying it and where you're going to be standing and stuff like that do you do that uh, well two reasons number one because i'm a very visual person yes that's yeah but also like i do i've 
dozens and dozens and dozens of, of stories or, or activities that I do. And every talk I do, I, I go to the, the resources and I redesign, design a brand new presentation. So chances are I've never given this exact presentation. I could have told a story that I'm about to tell in my opening. I could have told that in the middle of something yesterday because it made more sense there. So I don't tend to ever stand up and give the same presentation twice. Mm. So it's more to, you know, do you remember now you're not telling that story here and here's why you're going to tell that story three minutes before you finish. So just to, just to consciously just reconnect with the, 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 the technical aspects of what I'm about to do as well. But, and it's funny, though, that's, as you said, you, you so, you, you know, you, you, every talk you give is almost unique and that's probably what makes them sound so authentic. Um, but you're a public speaking expert, but ironically, sometimes the most influence you can have is by not speaking. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier about this guy who lost you in 30 seconds because he said three things you have to do or three options that you had. And how we often get told in yoga teaching that when you shouldn't just be constantly speaking and speaking and speaking, you should allow for pauses. But what's fascinating about the point, you, the third point you made is that to not speak at the start. Because I, I, I think I do this by accident because uh, I think sometimes I come across as a little bit dopey. Um, I'm not, not I, I come across that way, um, but I, I don't think I am. Um, but when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching, I often stand in front of the class and I look around a little bit and then I'm like, um, okay, right, everyone. But that's actually, <laughs> and I think some people are like, is this guy the teacher or what? <laughs> or has he just stood up to say something? But I think that, um, that's a, a brilliant tip for people that are thinking about how can they be better communicators. And it's not, and it's actually, ironically, it's not by always speaking. Because some people think that, oh, I've got the gift of the gab, so um, therefore I'm a good communicator. But, but when you speak less, the words that you say then have more weight. <laughs> Pausing is... Now we're, now we're consciously pausing, aren't we? Sure, but pausing, <laughs> I believe, is one of the most powerful things you can do to really maybe get a message across. And however, there's a caveat, if we overdo it, it loses its value. So, you know, I've learned something I do often, is I will whisper the most important part of my presentation. <laughs> yeah. Because we think, well, we need to shout to be heard. I've learned it's the opposite. If you really want to draw people in, the value of whispering is so powerful. Yeah. And I've literally seen people move forward. But the, the value of a pause, let me give you a simple example. Mm. And, and you and I were chatting about public speaking earlier on, and I shared a quote from George Bernard Shaw. So if I was, I'm going to read out a quote from George Bernard Shaw, and mm -hmm. I, I'll do this on Saturday at the speaker school class, and I will pause in the middle of the quote. Now, the conventional wisdom will say, sure, I'll just give them the quote. But it's, it's, it's not about giving the quote, it's about giving a quote that resonates. So what if there was part of the quote that you really wanted to resonate to maybe put those words up in lights, how we, one example of how we put the word up in lights, and in this quote there's one key word, and I'm going to try and put it up in lights. So what I'm going to do is, just before I give you the most important word in the quote, I'm going to pause. And I'd like to think that if I do this on Saturday, people will be even more eager. Whereas if I just read it out and I don't highlight this key important word, they might get it, but I'd be confident they will really get it because of the way I deliver it. Mm -hmm. So here's the quote. 
George Bernard Shaw. The problem with communication is the illusion that the communication has taken place. Yes. The key word there is, he will tell you that, you know, it's not about when you're communicating, it's not about you communicating, it's about your audience understanding. Because if they don't understand it, we're not really communicating, are we? Mm. So there's an example. I really want the audience to get that word illusion. So I, I will put it up in lights. How I put up in lights is by pausing. It's one, like there's hundreds of things we can do as speakers, mm -hmm. but that's one great example. Well, look at, I know it's slightly different, but look at someone like Obama. When he, he would, he, those, I think they call it pregnant pauses, he would stop, look around. And then it's, it's slightly different because there's a different audience and, and, you know. But I, when, I, when I referenced earlier, this is actually what we're tapping into now, and I'm conscious of your time, Jerry. But what I want to tap into just um, is tone, because you're talking about whispering certain things. When you go to, say, um, some forms of yoga where it's the same thing over and over again, what tends to happen is exactly that everything goes up at the end uh, everything goes up at the end and lift your arms and now do this and uh, everything is going up and it loses any um i hate that word authenticity but your mind shuts out it's it's almost like it becomes a dr like this droning sound and you, you can't hear anything um i don't have you in terms of um, speech, so public speaking is one thing, it's talking about confidence and stuff, but what would you call the skill of addressing the tone of your voice, the frequency of the words you use? Is that like speech therapy or something? Oh, is it speech therapy? I think it's speech, what's the word I might use? Um, it could be speech craft might be a word that I might use. Have you, have you, it like, would you, do you have someone who is like a, or have you had someone in the past who's like a speech coach for you? Yes. That, that yes. teaches stuff like this? Most definitely. And, and I, I, I study other speakers. I, I love watching videos of, of, of really powerful, impactful presentations. So a yeah. simple example would be, you know, I very often go into YouTube and I'll Google Toastmasters or World Champions. And you're guaranteed to see great speaking there. But the, the you know, the tone we speak, if all the words sound the same, George Bernard Shaw will say there's the illusion that they've got it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so some, the, I believe we need to put the most important words up in lights or the most important technique up in lights. And one way we might do that is by varying our tone. So making the keywords sound and therefore feel different and much more likely to resonate, to sink in with the audience. So it might be, um, here's a simple example. So... You know, let me let me try and I'm going to give you a dialogue all in the same tone. Yeah. So one of the key messages, here's one of my key messages today that I, I really believe this. And this has come 16 years of opening my own business and, 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 you know, really trying to change my life in the last 24 years. And what I've discovered is our success in life is determined by how uncomfortable you and I are prepared to get. Now, that's all delivered in the same tone. Mm -hmm. Here's another way that I might do it now. You know, 24 years. 24 years of, of my own experience in terms of personal development, if I've learned one thing, and if you were to only get one key message, here it is. Our success in life is determined. 
by etc etc and that's the key line so everything else is just to support that but that's the one I most want to remember so if you substitute take that out and put in a really important technical thing that we're teaching in yoga is to just maybe allow a difference in your tone there to really highlight it and you might even follow it up with listen what I've just showed you there it's so important I'd like to say it again yeah. And give it to them a second time because if that's the one thing you want them to remember, the other st- the other words are just supporting that. So how we how we say something is every bit as important, in many ways maybe even more important than what we say. Mm-hmm. How we say it. It's the that ability to to just where people really get the message. Yeah. I'm being I'm pausing now. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, funny enough, that I love Joe Rogan. I noticed Joe Rogan will let the guests finish and then he'll stop and actually not say anything. And I'm going to try and do that more often. But, um, and Jerry, again, I am conscious of the time, but this, I think this is so important. I, I think that your voice, it all goes back to, it's not about you. It's about we, the person coming into your, they've, they've driven, God knows and how much traffic they've paid for parking. They've gone to your class. They've they could have done something else with the evening, but they choose chose to come to your class. And then it's up to you to create an experience. And part of that experience is the words you use and how you use them. And I really feel that this is a, an area that if people are are looking to to if this is something that you're aware of, or, or maybe ask yourself, am I could I improve in this area, which I'm sure we all, we all can, and how am I going to do that? Uh, because it's going to make not just teaching yoga, i.e. your craft better, but your life better. <laughs> One of the so I've I've taken up a new activity myself in terms of fitness in the last five months. Something that's very new to me. So I'm going to this gym where, and I have to say, I'm loving it. But it's 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 around strength training, which is something that's very new to me. It's it's not something that I have any expertise in whatsoever. So I'm like, I'm back in in kindergarten, <laughs> and so I'm going into this environment every day. And there's people at all levels in the same class, and the 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 the, the people who want it, wonderful people, um. But because they're they're giving out very technical information, and just me as a student, I really. I'm very slow to process information and lots of time and, and they're, they're wonderful people and he really does try and, and help me and, and it gives me extra help or whatever. But when he's giving out communication, you know, even when it's one to one, I love when people say to me, listen, what's your understanding about that? Hmm. And because if, if I'm asked that, I might be able to say, well, here's here's what, I, what I'm hearing or, you know, here's let me show you. Uh, whereas what we very often tend to do is just give out all this communication and then just leave people. And we assume, sure, they must have got it. Sure, I told them the four things that they needed to do. And then we go off and we might go off and look at other students and, and whatever. But just that simple, and I appreciate this is not a one-size-fits-all and, and, and whatever, but it's just that maybe checking in with your with your clients, you know, what's their understanding of the communication? You might be astounded at the answers you get. Mm. And you might say, but how could they possibly have got that meaning from it? But as a student myself now, very often I'm getting I, I'm getting I'm filtering it through my view of the world and you said the line it's not about you it's about it's about the audience and it is always about the audience never about us as mm-hmm. teachers so just a, that's one thing I'm, I'm you know tell me what's your understanding of that that's something I ask the audience a lot of in my in my work is you know what's your thoughts on that you know I'm sharing it with you what do you think mm-hmm. you know or what's your understanding of that and it's that 360 that guarantees that we find out the truth whether it's a communication that has landed or it's an illusion that it's landed mm-hmm. by getting that feedback. 
That's brilliant. Yeah, I think it's it's being open to creating that dialogue between you and the student. Not this is what because what people tend to do, and it's very lazy, is do X Y Z. Do you understand? Yes. Yeah. What does that tell you? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Versus what's your understanding of this? Yeah, exactly. And funny, if I went to the, the gentleman who owns that particular thing and I asked him last week, I said, listen, I said, I, I'll be gladly pay for this. I said, you're given incredible knowledge here and expertise. Did you ever think of recording videos? And he said, now, now that you mention that, he said, yes, that's definitely going to happen. I would love, because he was teaching this thing last week, and there was so much technical in it, and yet I was doing it for the very first time. There's only so much I was able to, because he was giving a lot of information. But I only remembered one, maybe, of the four things. Mm -hmm. But I'm very eager. So I asked him, and he said, absolutely. So that's, I, I'll be the first student to sign up for, the, for those videos, because I, I've become so passionate about it. I really want to go home, and I want to study it, mm -hmm. break it down, and, and then practice at home in, in, in my kitchen kind of thing, you know. But that's that's the key, Jerry. I mean, to always want to be, always to always be a student, to be an eternal student. And then the people who are uh, the best or most effective teachers are the ones that always want to be students and constantly uh, re refining their, their craft. Um, Jerry, I'm really conscious that we've gone over the time I said we were going to be. <laughs> it's five past three. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer. I could talk to you all day, but if you want to find out more about you, where do they go? They go, well, if you go to Google and just type in Jerry Duffy, I think Jerry Duffy Academy should pop up. And if people are, are interested just to say hello or give us feedback on this, or if there's anything I can help them with, I'm very easy to find, just pop an email. I am absolutely passionate about public speaking. I find myself doing it when I have nothing to do. I'll go and I'll, find, <laughs> I'll read something or watch something. So that's a sign, you know, that 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 um, that that it's something I love. So if somebody has a question or something, I would love to if they felt I'd value to be able to help them in that. Um, I would be please reach out, and I'm very easy to find. Just JerryDuffyAcademy.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Small Changes, organic eco-friendly whole food store based here in Drumcondra, Dublin 9. Pop along, support a zero waste ethos by getting yourself some refillable products or maybe some fruit and veg. And uh, if you'd like to come to one of my workshops, then I have Heels Overhead on December 14th, which is going to be in Salt and Soul. So you can check out their website and book directly with them or feel free to reach out to me, KevinBoyYoga.ie, with any questions you may have about that workshop. That's it for now. Um, I think this, to me, this is um, this is one of the best podcasts I, I, I've been uh, had the pleasure of experiencing. So I hope you enjoyed it too. If you did, feel free to share it with your friends on your IG stories or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks as always so much for listening and I'll catch up with you next week.